This morning we're back in Galatians chapter 3, examining the grace that we have in, in Christ, all that God has given to us. If you remember from a few weeks ago, when we started this whole series, uh, before Easter actually, before we started, when we started the series, in Galatians chapter 1, it was, Paul was laying out this argument that we can't do anything to make God happy with us, Right? It says, you can't do anything. You can't be good enough. You can't, it doesn't matter what your education level is. It doesn't matter what your racial background is. It doesn't matter how much hair you have, how good looking you are. You can't do anything to make God happy with you. Then he goes on in chapter 2. But make it your purpose to make God happy with you. To find, let God be pleased with you. So if that's our purpose, how do we do that? And he continues that in the end of chapter 2. It's not by our works. It's not by those things we do, but it's by our faith. That's what grounds us in bringing God pleasure. He goes into chapter 3. He says that is grounded when we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us. When we find ourselves at this base camp of these next three peaks we've been talking about, you go and you allow the Holy Spirit to fill us, let Him reign in our lives. It's not by our own strength. It's not by our own power that we try to be good. It's the Holy Spirit working in and through us that we find ourselves being able to be pleasing to God. That's what helps to grow our faith. That's what helps us to find that. Then we talked about Abraham, that first peak here in chapter 3. The covenant that God made with Abraham. It was not him going and trying to sacrifice his son. It was not based on his following his leadership. It was based on Abraham stepping out of faith and saying, God, I trust you. I can't see the end of the road. I don't know what you've got ahead for us, but I'm going to follow you and trust you into the promised land. I'm going to follow you and trust you. And you've told me now to, that I'm going to have a son. I'm going to have a child. And I'm, all these stars in heaven, I'm not going to be able to count my ancestors. There are going to be so many. And here I am, 90 years old. But I believe you. And I trust you. And God said that belief, that trust, counted to him as righteousness. God's covenant with Abraham. Today, we're looking at the second peak here in chapter 3. The covenant that God made with Moses through giving the law. All these descendants of Abraham, they've now progressed and they've grown. They've grown. They've gone on to Egypt. They were in bondage for 400 years. God's brought them out of Egypt back into the promised land now. Or getting ready to go into the promised land. But in preparation for that, he leads them to Mount uh, to the mountain, and he takes Moses up into the mountain, and he's up there for quite a while. And he's given Moses the law. Moses comes down with the, the two stone tablets. He sees what Israel is doing down below. They've now abandoned God for all intents and purposes, and they've raised up this golden calf. And Aaron is now leading worship to the golden calf, which led them out of Egypt, right? And Moses gets mad and he throws the tablets down and breaks them. What are you doing? Then God leads him back up to the mountain. He gives him, now this time Moses has to write out the law. First time, God wrote it out. He says, here it is. Second time, he says, Moses, that was a dumb thing to do. Why did you break those tablets? Now, here's your chisel. Here's your rock. You get to now write out the law. And he comes back down, but he's given Israel this law. That for 600 laws, now if you read through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, I know those are your favorite books. Anybody enjoy reading Leviticus and Numbers? Liar. Liar. Just teasing. There, most people are like, yeah, not me. 
There's some great stuff in there, actually. As a family, we were reading through those a while back, and we got through Exodus. Okay, now our kids were getting into Leviticus. Kids were getting into Numbers. And at the end of it, we were like, wow, there's some really good stuff in there. It's like asking, asking somebody, what's your favorite psalm? How many people say Psalm 119 is your favorite psalm? The longest chapter in the Bible. It is my favorite psalm, actually. I love reading Psalm 119. It takes me a while. But I love reading because it exalts the Word of God, right? People don't just say, I want to dive into Leviticus and Numbers. Those are just, yeah. 600 and some odd laws in there. They're reiterated and reiterated and reiterated because people forget. But God gave that law for a purpose. God gave them that law for a purpose. Not necessarily saying that we have to follow all those laws, but the law was given to us so that we might know the futility of the flesh. So we might know the futility of trying to follow all those laws to make God happy with us. We can't do it. It's not in my own strength, my own power. We can try to follow all the laws. We can try to let our good outweigh our bad, and it's not going to work, right? The futility in our flesh And Paul's making this case here in Galatians. He says, it's not about you. The third peak we're going to look at next week, it's about Christ. It's about what God did in Christ for us. That is what brings me pleasure. That is what draws us into relationship with God. It's not on my works. It's not on trying to follow the laws. In fact, if you try to follow the laws, you're going to fail. You can't be good enough. I can't be good enough to make God happy with me. You feel like Paul's like on a, just repeating the same thing over and over again in in this book. We're now in chapter three and it's the same thing. The same thing. Because remember the Galatians were kind of stuck with this. They had believed Christ. They believed Christ and then these Jews came in and said, that's all fine and dandy if you want to believe in Jesus. But you've also got to get circumcised. If you really want God to be pleased with you, you've also got to do X, Y, and Z. And Paul's saying, no, that's not true. Why would you put yourself back under the law that you can't fulfill to begin with? Why would you try to do that which you can't even fulfill in your own flesh, in your own strength? So here we are, talking about the futility of the flesh. Follow with me in Galatians chapter 3, verse 19 through 20, 22. As we read through this, and then we'll look at a couple points here this morning. Paul starts off, he says, why then the law? Remember, he's just finished this whole dialogue on Abraham, and on faith, and how it was faith that drew Abraham into God's presence. He says, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise has been made. And it was put in place through the angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one. And God is one. is, Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. Did you catch that? If a law had been given that could give life, 
then righteousness would indeed be by the law. In other words, if there was anything we could do, if we could follow a certain set of rules, if we could follow those Ten Commandments and know that that's what we need to do, then that's all we had, then that would be great. But there is no law given so that we could find righteousness. He goes on. But Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. What's he saying here? Number one, he says we all disobey the, we all disobey the law of God. We all disobey the law of God. Anybody here not disobeyed? We all have. Multiple times. Every day. Even if we, I mean, forget the 600 laws that, that were in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Let's just take the 10. Right? The 10 commandments. How many of us break those every single day? How many of us break the, we all, all of our hands ought to be up, Right? The first four are dealing directly with our relationship with God. And then the last six are dealing with our relationship with one another. We all break those laws every single day. None of us are righteous. No, not one, the Bible says. None of us is good enough. We are all failures. None of us deserve a trophy. We all fail. We've all disobeyed the law. And the law demands obedience. The law demands perfect obedience. If we're going to try to, that's what Paul's saying here, if we're going to try to make yourself righteous before God based on the law, you've got to be perfect. And there's only one person who's ever lived perfect, and that's the God-man, Jesus. And not even in, in our flesh, our total flesh, we can't accomplish it. It took God coming in the flesh, being able to set aside His fleshly desires to follow the law completely and then on the cross he took our sins upon him Matthew chapter 5 verse 48 says this Jesus says be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect that's the command to us to be perfect and yet we know in our own flesh and our own desires and our own abilities we can't do it Thankfully, because Christ took our sins upon himself, when God looks at us, those of us who have committed our lives to Christ, and he has removed our sins, when God looks at us, he doesn't see my sin. He sees perfection because he sees Christ in me. Because when I gave Christ my sin, God gave me Christ's righteousness. I gave God all of my evil, all of my selfishness, all of that I, my flesh. God gave me the perfection of Christ. So now when I go, when I die and I stand before God and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? It's not because of the good I've done. He says, I see the good that Christ has done living in you. And I've imputed that. I've given that to you. His perfection on you. Welcome into my kingdom. That is such an awesome picture. If you can grasp that and understand that I don't, I'm not guilty for my sins any longer because God took my guilt away. He took my sin away. From now until I die, every sin I commit has already been removed by Christ. I can walk in power. I can walk in freedom. I can walk in perfection because of what Christ did for me. 
Does it mean I, st- I don't have to go to God and confess? Does it mean I don't go and admit, God, I messed up again? No, I still do that every single day. God, it's me again. <laughs> God, it's me again. God, it's me again. It's me every single day. God, I've messed up again. I'm acknowledging to him that in this life, in this flesh, I'm not where I need to be. And yet when he sees me, he doesn't see sinner David. He sees Christ. Christ's perfection, Christ's righteousness in me. See, the law doesn't make us sinners. What Paul is saying here in this passage, the law does not make us sinners. It exposes the sinfulness which was already present. James talks about this. He says, when you sin, you don't, don't say that God made me sin. You sin because of the natural desires, the inclinations, the instincts that are already within you. Anybody who's got a pet knows about animals and their instincts, right? we got six chickens living in our backyard now. we got a coop. we got a little run for them. And then I go out in the morning, and they're running out there, and they're fighting together trying to get to that little bit of food we've got sitting out. <laughs> if, we were, if we were nice, we'd give them two batches of food, but we're not. They go out there, they're fighting, they're jumping up and like cats, clawing at each other. Get me out of the food, let me out of the food. And they're instinctively trying to set themselves up as the, in the power struggle there within our little coop. It's awesome watching, standing outside, drinking my coffee. <laughs> you idiots. <laughs> Just wait your turn, wait in line, you'll all have plenty of food. But no, it's like a bunch of cats out there. Instinct takes over, right? Calvin said this, John Calvin. He says, The law was given in order to make known transgressions obvious. So that we might, our sin might be revealed to know where we are lacking, to know where we've fallen short. The law was given so we might know how bad we really are to drive us to our knees. How about our children? Our perfect little children. Anybody got perfect children here? Kids, put your arms down. You're not perfect. You may think you are, Josiah, but I know. Your kids. Our kids are generally very good kids until we tell them to go clean their rooms. Until we ask them to get ready for church by a certain time in the mornings. Until we ask them to eat spinach, ask them to do something they don't want to do. And then what's the word they use? No. I refuse. The demon child comes out. No. And all of a sudden, the law that was there, clean your room, eat your spinach, get ready for church, whatever it may be, it, their desire to go against that comes out. But it was, already all, it was always there. It was always there within this desire to do what they want to do instead of what their parents told them to do. The desire to do what we want to do has always been there, even though God says, I know what's best for you. Follow my law. Do this, do this, do this. Follow me. Let me lead you. And we say, God, no, I'm going to do it my way. Right? That's what the law does to us. It lets us realize just how sinful we are. It lets me realize just how selfish I am. It lets me realize just how much I want my way instead of God's way. And just how much I need Christ 
Galatians 3.19 says, Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. Romans 5.20 says the same thing. The law came along to multiply trans- trespasses. The law was brought into effect so we might realize just how sinful we are. Because without it, we might think, I'm good enough. Right? I'm good enough compared to somebody else. When we say we're good enough, who are we comparing ourselves to? Our next door neighbor? Our brother-in-law, our sister-in-law? That person who's cut me off while I was driving? We're comparing ourselves to somebody else who is also comparing him or herself to somebody else who's also comparing him or herself to Jeffrey Dahmer. There's always somebody else worse than us, right? But when we compare ourselves to Christ, we compare ourselves to perfection, we fall so short. David Platt said this, he said, Under the law, the reign of sin expands, thus making its presence felt even more keenly. In this way, the law does not make us better, it makes us worse. Our hearts which resist the law grow harder and harder apart from the grace of God we begin desiring ourselves and we fight against God. Think of the Pharaoh in Egypt, right? In, in Egypt, as Moses came before Pharaoh, he says, what, what, was, what did Moses say to Pharaoh? Let my... And Moses says, no. And at the beginning, he began hardening his heart. He began hardening his heart against the will of God. So at the end, when he could have let them go. His heart was so hard against God, against the people of God, there was no curse. There was nothing that God could have done at that point because he had set himself against God. It would have been easy. At the very beginning, Moses said, let my people go. Okay, I'll, I'll, we'll let you guys go. You guys have done a great work here for 400 years. We appreciate all you have done. But all of a sudden, Pharaoh realized they were going to lose their slaves. They are going to lose their workers. They are going to lose their tax base. And they are going to lose power. No. You may not leave. He hardened his heart. And by not letting go, the plagues progressed worse, worse, and worse. And as they got worsened, his heart got harder and harder. The more we resist the law of God, the more we risk having that hard heart like Pharaoh, even as believers. It is possible for us to, so, to tell God no so many times that our hearts are hardened in our own flesh to God's will for our lives. And it's hard to chip away the crust in our own hearts. When confronted by our disobedience, It's hard to overcome. Even Paul struggled with this. I love this. Because Paul, here's this, wrote more more books in the Bible than anybody else, right? He wrote half the New Testament. Here's the missionary to the Gentiles. Romans chapter 7. What does he say about himself struggling? He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold as a slave to sin. For I do not understand what I am doing. 
because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but the sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the, do the good I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do the... <laughs> tongue-tied here reading Paul, right? Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer... I am no longer the one do, does it, that does it, that does it, but the sin lives, lives within me. Verse 24. What a wretched man that I am. Paul is just like you and me. He is just like you and me with the same struggles. Here's what I know I should be doing, but I don't do it. So here's what I don't, I, I don't should be doing. Here's what I shouldn't be doing, but those are the things that I do. What a wretched man I am. I keep, no matter, I'm always giving in. Giving in to me. And the more I think about it, the more the law wells up that guilt within me, realizing that I can't do it because I'm constantly disobeying the law. Which is the point, right? We can't fulfill it. We are always disobeying the law. Paul's sin and ours is intensified in our minds because of the law and influenced by the Holy Spirit inside us, reminds us of God's holy standard and reminds us that we still have a long way to go. Long way to go. We're constantly pushed by the Holy Spirit to conform to Christ's likeness, His holiness. The person who has no desire to conform needs to do a heart check and determine if there was ever any true conversion to take place in the beginning. See, one of the key points that lets us know that we are a child of God is this realization of our sinfulness and how far we still have to go. When we think, I'm okay, I'm good enough, there may be a problem there. We should never get to that point where I say, I'm good enough, I'm okay, the closer you get to Christ, the more you realize how far we really have to go. And that's okay. Because point two says we all deserve the wrath of God. We all disobey the law of God. We all deserve the wrath of God. On the cross, Christ experienced that wrath as He took our sins upon himself as he took my sins upon himself as he hung there on the cross and God turned his face away and he said Abba Father why have you forsaken me it's because he saw God saw my sins on Christ he saw Mike's sins on Christ. He saw Drew's sins on Christ. He saw Regina's sins on Christ. He saw Jody's sins on Christ. He saw all of our sins put onto Christ. And God could not bear to look. We deserve the wrath of God. And yet Christ took that wrath for us. The law causes us to tremble before the wrath of a holy God. Even Martin Luther said this. He said the principal point of the law is to make men not better, but worse. It's not to make us better, but worse. That is to say, it showeth them 
Unto them their sin, that by the knowledge thereof they may be humbled, terrified, bruised, and broken, and by this means be driven to seek grace. It's the recognition of our sinfulness, of how far we still have to go, that drives us to our knees and says, God, I need you. It's that law, the recognition that I am not where I need to be, that I screwed up again, that drives me to my knees and says, God, I'm not worthy. I am not worthy of you. Because of this, because we understand that we stand cursed, we recognize that we need the grace of God. Verse 10 says that for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Because we're under that curse, we need God's grace. In Abraham, the focus was on the blessing. God said in Genesis chapter 12, He says, I will bless you, and I will bless those who bless you, and all the people of the earth will be blessed because of you. Was it because he obeyed? Partially because that obedience was led through his faith and belief in what God was going to do. See, our obedience is always as a result of our love and our faith in Christ. I don't read my Bible out of a sense of guilt. I don't come to church out of a sense of guilt. I don't do the things I do and live my life the way I do as a sense of guilt. I do these things out of, out of a life of faith that's trusting in God and what God has done for me and understanding how far I came and how far I still have to go and what God has done for me in the law in forgiving me. This covenant with Moses was to be declared by Israel as they prepared to enter the promise. And this is so funny. In Deuteronomy chapter 27, if you want to follow along with me, I'm going to read something. As, as they get ready to enter in the promised land, God divided up Israel. So we're going to read the law together. And he put half of Israel on this mountain and half of Israel on this mountain and they were going to shout curses back and forth to each other. That sounds like fun, doesn't it? When you disobey the law, this is what happens. Deuteronomy chapter 27. Start with verse 12. When you have crossed over the Jordan... These shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal for the curse, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And the Levites shall declare to all the men in Israel in loud voice, Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image, an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of craftsmen, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall say, Amen. And so they're shouting these things back and forth. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who moves his neighbor's landmark. It means moving their fence. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's nakedness. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with any kind of animal. And the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his sister, whether the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother. And the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his mother-in-law. And the people shall say, Amen. 
Cursed be anyone who strikes down his neighbor in secret, and the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who takes a bribe to shed innocent blood, and the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of the law by doing them, and the people shall say, Amen. They're standing there saying, if we don't follow the rules of the law, we are going to be cursed. And what the Levites were saying is you can't follow it. Even moving that marker, then you're moving your fence. <laughs> How many of us want to do that to our neighbors? <laughs> They're encroaching on my property. That tree, it's hanging over my fence, right? Snip, 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 snip. We can't follow it. But he goes on. Look at the first six verses of 28. The blessings. If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all the commandments that I commanded you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the, in the city. Blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle and the increase in your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall shall you be when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you go out. That's what I want. I want the blessings of God to fall on me. I think Israel did too. But it's in our nature to do what we want to do. It's in our nature to disobey. It's in our nature to reject. It's in our nature to say to God, no. And the rest of 28, all the way through 30, God's saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Listen up, listen up. This is what's going to happen to you if you don't obey, if you don't follow the rules of the law. These cursings will come upon you. The law was given to remind us that we are cursed under the judgment of God if we don't obey, if we don't follow them that we have no hope. We cannot make our own way to God. That we stand already condemned before God. Hopeless and helpless without Him. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, number 84, says this, What does every sin deserve? The answer, every sin deserves God's wrath and curse, both in this life and that which is to come. Every sin deserves God's wrath. I deserve God's wrath. You deserve God's wrath. That two-year-old back in the nursery right now, that one-year-old back in the nursery right now, the kids over in children's church right now, so innocent and pure, they deserve God's wrath. But... God's not left us guilty. He's not left us with a way out of his wrath. The more we try to obey, the more we try to go to church, pray, be good, live the right way, the more the law says we're guilty. And God says, I know you feel guilty. I know I've declared you guilty. There's nothing you can do. See, the point is, 
we can't get it right. We can't live so right that we are not guilty. We are guilty. That's why we need the law. The law shows us that we can't get it right. We desperately are in need of a Savior to deliver us from that curse, from that condemnation. The wrath that is due us, our disobedience and our futility, and our rebellion in the flesh. Galatians 3.22 says this, But the Scripture imprisoned everything under the law, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now therefore, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the faith that would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until who? Until Christ. In order that we might be justified by faith. And when we come to humbly before Christ, he says, I see your sin and I declare you not guilty. I see that sin and I raise it with my life. I see your sin, I see your efforts, I see your imperfections, and I raise you my righteousness. And in doing so, he says, you are not guilty any longer. See, that law that holds us in guilt, the law that holds us with this feeling of I can't do it, Christ comes along and he says, I did it for you. That law that was placed there so that we could recognize our sinfulness, Christ came along and says, I take that sin on myself and I give you me. And in Christ, we find freedom. In Christ, we find the grace. In Christ alone, we find guiltlessness. That's such a great concept. If we could simply grasp that and stop trying to live our lives in such a way that, oh, woe is me. We live our lives in such a way where we say, God, thank you. I, I now live my life and, and I read my Bible not out of guilt, but out of love. I come to church not out of guilt, something I have to do. I do it because I want to do it. <clears throat> I want to see you guys, even you. I want to be with you guys. I want to hang out with you. I want to be with the body of Christ because I love God more. I want to do great things. I want to love on you guys. I want to minister in my community, not out of sense of guilt, but because I love God. I do these things not because I feel guilty, but I'm so thankful for what God has done for me. He took away everything and said, I'm not guilty. I no longer have to worry. My, my, my eternity is secure. My sin is no more. The guilt is gone. God took it upon himself 